Hello there. Hey, Jake. How you doing? I'm doing good. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you just dandy. It, yeah, so I got I to tell you, Aaron, I was getting funny looks from from my comic shop guy today, or this week, when I picked up stuff for uh, to talk about for the podcast. Because you're buying all these mainstream books? Well, I'm buying the, like, like, yeah, well, mainstream books and singles is, is really the, the, the switch. Because I, I pick up some of the mainstream books from time to time, but but it's all the singles. He just kind of stares at me. He's like, what is what is all this? I was like, I... It's for a thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm one of those horrible trade waiter people, so <laughs> I think this is the most singles I've picked up in a single week in, oh God, it's, it had to be five years. We'll be, I think all of us do it. We'll be at the store looking at things. I was like, I don't know if I want to get that or not, but I know they'll want to talk about it. Yeah, Tim made me pick up Wonder Woman this week. Bastard. Cheers! <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, so let me see. I've got the list. It's a long-ass list. See, and there's one specific, uh, the the Astonishing Thor in there. I got an opinion on even though I didn't read that one. You're not allowed to have an opinion on a book if you're not read. Oh, the hell I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I threw that in the store. I have an opinion. (laughs) I'm sorry, Wayne. I, 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 I I didn't see it. You didn't see Astonishing Thor? No. I will, I will definitely get it next week. Tim, why would you, would you? I spent like twenty bucks, dude. Are you big baby? I gotta save money, dude. Gotta, the rest gotta, of us spent like forty. It will, okay, well, let's talk about the person that doesn't have to drive to St. Louis, Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. But you're you're gonna get the crash with Paul, so you know you're saving money on the hotel space. What? No, no, Paul said fuck that. No, I no, did. no. I'm gonna let you in. Don't worry about it. I got you fixed up. <laughs> you could stay in Aaron's room. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just going to let him into yours. Everybody wants to stay in, in your room, Paul, because you're so welcoming. Ah, that's me. Tim and Wayne and Jake. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. This is Tim. This is Jake. Well, look at us. We've got a, a bona fide comic book type artist on the show today. Semi-professional, <laughs> ne- nearly authentic. That's what we'll go with. Nearly authentic. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a uh, well. You know, it's like that brand of gemstone that's genuine, but it's not really saying that it's a real gemstone. It's just that that's the brand name. Genuine artist, Jake Ekus. <laughs> this, this is like those watches they sell in Turkey. It's, it's gen, genuine Rolex, genuine fake Rolex. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Or that what is, is it? CK one type. You know, the, like the, the the perfume you get from the vending machine in the bathroom. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Jake. You're the vending. <laughs> you, That's you're, cool. you're, 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 you're the bathroom perfume. Ah. <laughs> At least I'm not the dumpster perfume. It could be worse. It could be so. Nice. Does it make me vain that I had to look on Wikipedia to see if he has more of an entry than I do? That's. I, I think. I think in Wikipedia that is the definition of vain, Wayne. Okay. Wait. Wayne has a Wikipedia entry. 
Fear the Boot has a Wikipedia entry, and I have a write-up under that. What? That's right. I'm on Wikipedia, bitch. See, with with regards to Wikipedia entries, Lun and I have a deal that neither he nor I can make our own Wikipedia entries nor each other's. We have to wait for someone else to do it. That's when we'll know know we've made it. (laughs) I have the the exact same rule. If you have to make your own Wikipedia entry, you don't deserve one. Yeah, it's worse because we know people who have, and, and it's kind of ooh, that's not that's not cool. <laughs> yeah. Hey Sardell, you want some homework, buddy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I, I don't have that Paul's basement. Oh. Well, if you're if you're if you're not attaching the name, Jake is the fellow who does all of our Knights of Rainsboro art for us. So he is the the fellow who has done the uh, the artistic character designs. For our Knights of Rainsbow characters, and you, Jake, you have just rocked those out. I've really enjoyed I, them. I, I was really hoping you guys are liking those. So, yeah, I had fun doing them. They, they've been okay. a blast. You did a great job of coming up with basically what we had in our heads when we didn't even know what we had in our heads. Uh, you, when you guys like, so I don't know if Paul told you this. When you guys posted the one where you're talking about your characters, like when you're actually building the characters from the the concept. Uh-huh. Um, I listened to that podcast twice the day you released it, and I was just waiting at my computer. It, it took all my willpower not to actually message either you, Aaron, or Paul, just to, like, to say, hey, guys, uh, if you need somebody to draw this, I know a guy, <laughs> and it's totally me. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just, like, waiting. I think, I think Paul, you, you messaged me. And I was like, oh, yes, let me do it, please. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is Knights of Rainsboro? So, uh, Jake, Jake lives, uh, here in the Dallas Fort Worth area, like I do. And, uh, Jake, Jake, what are you seeing on the Super Bowl front on your side of town? I, you know, I haven't seen anything yet. Um, and, and I'm not sure if that's just because I'm such a, you know, relentless homebody that I haven't noticed or, or if they're just because, because I'm, because I'm further away, I think from, because, well, yeah, you're, you're closer to where it is, right? Or yeah, I'm in Arlington where, where the stadium is. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. You'll see a lot more than I will. Well, you know, I, I, you know, we just have more general traffic to like all the the concerts and stuff in downtown. I think I'll miss most of the Super Bowl stuff. The uh, C- city of Arlington is where the is hosting the the actual game itself, and it's nuts here with all the advertising and events and whatnot. But I drove into Fort Worth, which is west of Arlington, yesterday, and I'm seeing all these billboards that say Steelers. I mean, just Steelers. That's all it says. And, you know, you drive further in, in towards downtown Fort Worth, and, I mean, everything is Steelers this, Steelers that, and, I guess, and I'm just like, well, I guess fuck the Packers, huh? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then I, it's not until this morning, I mean, I, I go to the, the grocery store last night uh, in Fort Worth, and, I mean, there are Steelers cakes and muffins and, I mean, just everything Steelers that you could possibly think of. I, I, I'm like, wow, I, you know, what the hell? I guess we're uh, just really into Pittsburgh here. No, the... It's an NFL thing. The, the Steeler fan base is notorious for traveling with the team, even on games that aren't the Super Bowl. And they're housing – I found out this morning that the they're housing the Steelers in Fort Worth, and then they're housing the Packers over in Las Colinas, which is a suburb of Dallas. Oh, um, crap. That's, that's so, over – oh, man, I have some friends over there. They're going to be yeah. swamped. Yeah, so the Omni in Dallas is where the Packers are going to be. The the Omni in, in uh, Fort Worth is where the Steelers are going to be. And I'm like, oh, man, they're splitting it apart. It's going to it's gonna <laughs> be that whole fight again. Dallas or Fort Worth, Dallas or Fort Worth. 
even though we don't have a game, a, a, a team in the game, <laughs> we're all going to be pissy. <laughs> oh, Aaron, did you did you hear about the the, the stripper shortage? The supposed uh, like massive stripper shortage in Dallas. I have not heard about the stripper shortage, as, but as, I, as related to the Super Bowl, they're saying that I think we're like a thousand strippers shy of the expected necessary quota <laughs> for a Super Bowl influx. And now the first thing is. They have numbers for that. <laughs> Somebody, somebody's taken the time to figure this this out, the percentage wise. And then my second question was, wait, you're telling me Dallas is short of some strippers? Really? Yeah, really. It seemed like we had a surplus there. <laughs> what you so, would think, yeah. You know, I need to find I a say- guy who has his economic degree to figure out the economic <laughs> metric that figures out how many strippers per capita per <laughs> and i need to stab that guy and take his job well you know, i know here in st louis we're worried about that because paul's coming to town i mean when yeah. paul comes to town you got to triple the number of strippers you got that's right <laughs> well you know you have to bear in mind that paul lives in virginia where they have no true nudity in their strip joints that is correct what fake yeah. nudity there were bikinis there not even pasties bikinis yeah wow Missouri at least gets down to pasties, but yeah, we've got pretty much the same. I mean, you could you could go to the water park and get more play <laughs> than you would at the strip joint or the VIP lounge in Virginia. See, see wow. here we have Illinois is you know wide open, has all the nudity, all of that, and it's just right across the river. So all the clubs oh, are no. right on the river. Uh, Missouri's got nothing, so they don't even bother putting clubs up in St. Louis. You have to go over to East St. Louis. And you you're know, not going to East St. Louis, Paul, unless you don't unless you don't want to come back. Gotcha. <laughs> well, Her you know, I, I'm I'm just listening to this, and the only thing I heard is Paul. There's a guy whose job it is to go to the strip clubs and count how many strippers they have to determine if there's enough. <laughs> well, and he actually works for the government in the Census Bureau. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so his job is safe because you know the government needs strippers too. That's right. Mm. Washington D.C. doesn't have a shortage of strippers, do they? Of course not. Because this guy is doing his job. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, if you don't have enough strippers, the terrorists win. <laughs> Aaron, looking for a part-time job? <laughs> just, just asking. Well, you know, I mean, I, I may have to do my part to support football and, you know, go take off my clothes. Yeah. Jake, you with me? <laughs> what? I, lo- I look terrible in heels, though. I've got re- I've got ugly ankles. This is really the issue. This is true. This is. I mean, true. I mean, I mean, I mean the, the the thong and everything. I mean, that's just daily wear. But you right. know, heels is really what kills me. <laughs> yeah, nobody really wants to see a stripper in flats. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. So speaking of which, I, I just wanted to confirm this is podcast sans pants, right? Because, that's right. Because I don't put mine on before ten in the morning unless something has gone severely wrong. It's 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 policy. I podcast new. The only thing I've got on is my cock ring, so we're good to go. Well played. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's horrifying. And uh, <laughs> why don't you why don't you tell us about this T-shirt thing? Let's talk about clothing, Aaron. <laughs> so I I am out at the grocery store last night, and I'm with my wife, and we just uh, had dinner with some friends. We're picking up a few things for uh, for the weekend, and this guy stops me. You know, as I'm there in the in the store, and he goes, "Man, I love your T-shirt." And I'm, you have to understand, I'm I'm wearing a T-shirt, and over my T-shirt, I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt. So, the T-shirt I'm wearing has got the Captain Kirk, Mister Spock, and uh, Mister Scott from the Star Trek animated series on it, right? And at the beneath it, it says "Chicks dig the uniform." So the 
I'm wearing this long sleeve shirt, so really the only thing you can see is Captain Kirk kind of popping his head out of my shirt. So you really have to be looking to be able to see it. It's not like I was just there in a t-shirt and nothing else. So he's like, I love your t-shirt. I love the Star Trek animated series. God! And this guy's like 20 years old or something. And he's just nonstop. And my wife sees that there's this geek event happening, and she continues on without me, leaving me with, you know, the stranger. <laughs> so the wife abandons me, and he is going on and on, and he is, he is down into episode specifics. You know, oh, you know, I really like that one episode with the Kazenti, and you know, yada, yada, yada. And he's just going on and on, and I can't get a word in to say, dude, I really need to catch up with my wife. Because, I mean, he's just stream of consciousness about Star Trek the Animated Series. And I'm trying not to be a dick, but I'm like, dude, I, I'm, I'm here with my wife, and, you know, I, I, she's leaving. <laughs> <laughs> but he just went on and on, and as I'm stepping away, he's following me. <laughs> and I, I finally just had to say, dude, I, I got to get catch up with my wife. And he's like, okay, good, good talking to you. Good talking at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, what Aaron didn't reveal is that that guy is still there. He's sitting right next to him. He's just <laughs> right. waiting for his turn and to talk. He's our new host on the show. <laughs> uh, well, welcome to the show, Jake. Yeah, I was about to say, I knew this coming. I was waiting for it. I was like, what, no one's going to take that? Am I going to have to do that one? Come on. That's you. It's all you, Jake. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Jake, obviously this is a big show. We've got a, a guest star on. We're going to talk about a lot of event books and crossovers and things like that. And so I was reading last night that DC announced the upcoming tie-ins for their big crossover event of the summer, Flashpoint. Flashpoint is a five-issue miniseries. So five months, technically, in theory, assuming they all come out on time. Fourteen tie-in miniseries. Were announced not, yesterday. Not books, but full miniseries. Full three issue miniseries. Each miniseries, each miniseries is three issues. Fourteen of them, and not like you know Batman issue seven hundred and eight to seven hundred and twelve. Actual separate miniseries. Fourteen of them were announced for Flashpoint. I'm so glad I hopped off the Flash book. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, seriously, are, is DC going to stop publishing? All of their other books for those five months, because that is the only way that I would buy any of those miniseries. And at this point, we've seen that all these tie-ins are generally crap. I mean, oh yeah, I'm, uh, my my rule is when it comes to DC crossovers, I won't buy into the tie-ins. I may get the miniseries, but no tie-ins. I just, where did they get the talent for fourteen new books in five months? And why did they call me? Yeah, I would have written one of them. <laughs> I, I would have written Flashpoint Ambush Bug issues one through three. Oh, you know? so would. <laughs> I call Flashpoint Batgirl. Because he's wearing a Flash t-shirt or something, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow Deadpool finds his way in the book and he's not even DC. Right. I could see it happening. It's the next logical step, really. Deadpool really need, He's just going to start appearing in every other like, company's books. He's just going to proliferate through. You know, he'll show up in Invincible and and, and like Hellboy. I'll, I would read Dead, yeah. Deadpool versus Mouse Guard. <laughs> That's a good point. I'd go there. Yeah, yeah. I would read Deadpool versus Mouse. Manning and start killing some mice. Yeah. Deadpool versus Mouse, the Spiegelman book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would read that one. Pulitzer Prize winning. 
no, we're all laughing at highbrow quality comedy that I don't <laughs> Well, I'm I'm looking forward to Flashpoint Amalgam. <laughs> I think that's basically what it is. It's one of those books where everything's an alternate universe, so they have to release a miniseries of every one of the main DC characters in this alternate universe. So you get like a Batman miniseries, a Wonder Woman miniseries, a Superman thing. Um you know, Aquaman has his own miniseries, even though he doesn't have his own DC book. So, you know, you know I, I always sure. like the alternate universe stuff, and I could get excited about that. Except the the Blackest Night tie-ins were so bad. Yeah. I mean, so the, I, I don't. I have a hard time thinking that I'm going to jump into this because of how bad those Blackest Night books were. You know, I remember Sorry. being so excited that there was going to be a Flash crossover, something big like they did for the Green Lanterns. But I don't know anything don't know about this crossover. Over. They haven't really been hinting too much about it. I, my general thinking is, um, if you read the most recent issue of Flash, which I'm pretty sure Jonathan Landreth is the only one who read it other than me, um, Reverse Flash was jumping through time making changes, little changes, to his own history. So I'm thinking that what happens is Reverse Flash goes back in time, prevents the Flash from becoming the Flash, prevents all the heroes from becoming heroes or whatever. Um, and I think that's what the, the alternate universe of the Flashpoint is. So, again, I don't know if DC's still publishing their other books during those months or if they're just going to go into this whole hog and say, you know what, everything's taking a break while these miniseries are going on. Which, in that case, I would buy some miniseries. Yeah, it would be pretty cool if they had a, you know, a single vision, kind of like Age of Apocalypse. Exactly. But, but, but the premise here is, that, is that, that none of the heroes are heroes anymore. So essentially, it's just like Age of Apocalypse, only instead of everyone having an alternate history, they have a boring one now. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> like they, they've they gone made... from superhero to, to just dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's Bruce Wayne. Look, he's a guy. <laughs> the amazing Phil. <laughs> yes, exactly. Clark Kent, couch potato. <laughs> yes. <laughs> No, they did that book. It was called Major Bummer. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. Uh, the, all they've done is announced the tie-ins. They haven't announced you know, anything else as to whether how, what's going to happen with the regular books or any of the creative teams. But I think 14 is a bit excessive unless you're going to stop publishing other books. Yeah. Not a bit excessive. 14 is a lot excessive. It's a lot honest. excessive. But I'm sure they're only two ninety nine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they, they suckered me on a couple of those this week, those two ninety nine bastard books. My comic shop gave me an advertising poster of that. It's got uh, all of the Justice League characters gathered up together. Really cool art, nice poster, but it has a giant drawing the line at two ninety nine written on the corner. Yeah, my comic shop had a stack of those, and I was like, wow. Does anybody really want to hang that up in their office? <laughs> Drawing the line at two ninety nine. I'm really proud of my two ninety nine comic book. <laughs> and that's the sad thing is, if you look at it, the poster is actually pretty cool. If it didn't have that drawing the line at two ninety nine, I'd hang it up. I mean, it, it's you're right. It's not a bad poster. It's just the big, you know, the fact that it's an yeah. ad for two ninety nine bucks. You know what else is excessive? Our list of comic books this week is excessive. Yeah, thanks, Tim, for keeping us on point before we talk for an hour before we get to our comic list. <laughs> That's what I do. You know, so, you know, we were talking about that poster. Well, I picked up IDW's Infestation Number 1 this week. And with it, I got an Infestation sketchbook. And a sketchbook? I got a sketchbook, and I got a little Infestation Star Trek patch that has the little uh, Starfleet symbol with a zombie hand over it. 
I got a little. I'm not going to sew it onto my jacket or anything, but it was pretty cool. I need you to I, sew it onto your your navy blazer and wear it to the office. <laughs> I, I, I got the little Transformers patch with mine. I didn't get a sketchbook though. I feel I feel kind of ripped off now. Man, you know what I got with mine? I got a comic yeah. with mine. <laughs> <laughs> I got the Two middle J's part of like the donut it. with mine. <laughs> yeah, the, the the sketchbook is pretty sweet. It's got all like. It's got all the Transformers and Ghostbusters and G.I. Joes drawn as zombies. And it's it's pretty nifty. You know, Captain Kirk I, and Okora zombies and all that. How do you do a zombie Transformer? Oh, no, that's, it, that's, that, they cover that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, it brings us to Infestation number one, which is written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, who we're big fans of. Yeah. And uh, this is the crossover that ties in Transformers, Star Trek, G.I. Joe, and... Uh, Ghostbusters uh, into some large zombie crossover event. That's that is also apparently a Stargate crossover as well, yeah. though it's not branded yeah. as such. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why does every dimensional portal now need have to look like a Stargate? Because SketchUp models are easy to find for it. Ooh, <laughs> sorry, that was that was cruel. I, I really shouldn't have gone there. <laughs> 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 so, uh, Jake, what'd you think of Infestation number one? Oh man, you know, I, I read this book first of of, of the ones I, I picked up this week because I thought, you know, this this idea is so ridiculously over the top and just just absurd. I, I'll have to love it, and, and um, uh, that's that's not quite what happened. <laughs> uh, for, for, first off, I, I felt like it was kind of a bait and switch because uh, I went in just knowing the general premise of we're going to cross over zombies with these four universes and on the cover they do have you know snake eyes and spock and optimus prime and vankman and i'm like sweet and then none of those characters show up in the comic the actual (laughs) comic proper and it's not like it's a thin book either i mean it's 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 a pretty meaty book and i get to i keep going through and i'm like my god page after page and none of these people are showing up where are they all and i get to the the end of the story and i'm like oh god i'm not getting any of them (laughs) just (laughs) Man, and then there was the art, and then there was the writing, and I was bugged by both. I, I, welcome, oh. welcome to individual issues. <laughs> I hated it a lot. This was not a good way to start my week. I, <laughs> or week of reading. I, I'm glad you mentioned, you the, mentioned art the art because I, while the writing didn't bother me at all, in fact, there are, there are elements of the writing that I rather liked. I, I had a real problem with with the storyboarding on the book. Um, there was action occurring that you didn't see on panel. Um, there's this whole yeah, scene in, in the uh, in the facility where they're shooting, but you don't see what they're shooting. You know, they're just oh my god, they just keep taking all this ammo. Well, yeah. and, and characters come out of nowhere, like that little robot guy. Yeah, like they get him, and he's supposed to have helped them get into their robots, and then he vanishes for like three pages. Yeah, and then he pops up at the end to save all of their asses. Yeah, and he's supposed he's to have been in the room the whole time. Like the yeah. storytelling on this book, art-wise, is terrible. It's just awful. It really oh, is. And, and and you know, you're looking at some of the individual panels, and some of the individual panels are very nicely drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that. There's this whole page with Brit. Um, the lady vampire, and you know, one of the one of the panels reminds me a lot of Tim Sales' work, but the the action and the ability to tell the story through the art is really lost here. Um, I mean, there's it, it seems like they've edited pieces out for space because I it really doesn't flow. You're really having to read into the text to understand what's going on. See, and, and my my issue here was was 
part, what, what came in with the writing was that the writing wasn't even clear enough to clarify some of the issues I had with the art. For, for instance, like I felt like the artist was bored drawing anybody but Brit. Yeah. Like, like he just didn't care. So, so like, like, not only do all the the male characters look like sort of cardboard stand-in cool guys, mm-hmm. but then the writing didn't differentiate them even even more. So, so like throughout the whole book, I have no idea who anybody else is but Brit because she's the only one with any texture to her visually. You know, and so and the, the of, texture being her boobs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no. You know, tits as a voter. Yeah. I, it, was, it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I, you know, the some of the the artwork is just very nondescript. With but you can tell that the artist really does enjoy drawing the lady vampire. Well, and the colorist was, and the thing is, the artist clearly cares a lot more about the figures than he does about anything else on the page. Right. And, and you can tell that because the colorist is having to do, in certain pages, like, the colorist is having to do huge bench lifts of work to try and cover up the fact that there is barely any background there. Right. Um, aside from, you know, as previously stated, the SketchUp models of, of, of the Stargate. Which it may not have been what it what it was, but man, that's what it looked like. Oh yeah, I mean it's even got the little chevrons on it, like the stripes <laughs> it has. I mean, come on. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, not a so. <laughs> what it boils down to is, will any of you be picking up any of the tie-ins? I'm going to pick up the Star Trek book. Yeah, you know they at the end of the book they had two page pre- uh, previews of all the books. I, I think I'm going to pick up the Star Trek. I think that might be the only one I pick up. The Star Trek one looks like fun. As a side note, with the GI Joe one, does anyone does anyone notice? Like, just from those two pages, I'm like, wow. You know, you thought working in the in the Empire under Vader was bad, where you know if you get promoted to admiral, you die. Like the little eel guy, who all he's doing is saying, "Man, I really want to kill some Joes," and the Baroness kills him for it because <laughs> I'm not even sure why. <laughs> like, I'm like, wait, he's he's a red shirt. Not only is he, he's wearing the red shirt, he's a guy who's supposed to be cannon fodder, and he wants to rush in front of gunfire, and you're going to kill him before you go on the mission. Like, th- this is this is a waste of talent here. This guy this guy needs to be promoted. <laughs> Now I, I will say that the uh, preview pages for Ghostbusters look terrible. Yeah, awful. Those just look bad. The Transformer ones weren't great either. The Transformer ones I, I looked at, and, and the first thing I noticed is, is there's a character talking from off panel, and the very next panel is not that character who's talking. It doesn't clarify. It's like you know, I mean, like the story. It was weird because like the storytelling problems were there in even the preview pages, and they're all drawn by different people, which is what blew my mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think I'm curious about some of the tie-ins. Well, I, I think I'm curious about Star Trek. I'll flip through the others, um, but Star Trek will probably be the only one I actually buy. Yeah, I, I have to say I didn't hate the book. I mean, I'm awfully critical of it. I I was I, I told Paul earlier in the week I said, hey, I just started Infestation. I was probably only like five pages in, and I was enjoying myself. But as I as I read deeper in and the, and the action really started heating up, I was just like, man, I don't get what the hell's going on on this page. So. Anyway, uh, I'm going to pick up the Star Trek books, and we'll see where we go from there. Well, another crossover event started this week, which was Marvel's Age of X, which is their new alternate reality X-Men crossover. Uh, The one that they advertised kind of a lot like Age of Apocalypse. Um, So Age of X Alpha came out this week, and Wayne and I read it. Yep. What would you think, Wayne? You know, this shouldn't have been an Alpha book. 
if you look back at what they did with Age of Apocalypse, one of the reasons it was so strong was, first of all, it was tied into the regular storylines. They built up to it. It happened. It was part of continuity. And then after it was over, it had repercussions. This book starts off with, you know, a bunch of mini, basically mini stories with different creators. There's different art for the different mini, you know, short stories in here. This would have been fine for like an Age of Alpha Chronicles. I don't think it was particularly good, but it would have been fine for an Age of, you know, Age of X Chronicles or something. But for an Alpha to get us hooked into the story, all of this backstory and this was not a good way to start off a crossover. It doesn't yeah. have any of the charm that Age of Apocalypse had. It's just basically a history lesson and not a story. It's very much like that World War Hulk's book that everyone hated. I think World War Hulk's number zero or whatever. That was just like four random stories set in the universe or whatever. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I had a <laughs> flashback. <laughs> they did this in Age of Apocalypse when they did like Chronicles, when they went when back they and went they back examined, and the examined the history. But that's the difference here. I don't think Age of X has a story in itself. I think it has a backstory that it's trying to tell. And that's no way to do a crossover. Yeah. I mean, I got to say, I didn't hate the entire book. I actually liked the first story in the book, which was the Cyclops story. Um, The rest of it, honestly, was kind of throwaway. And I, I understand that they were trying to introduce the universe by telling backstories of different characters. And at the end of the book, you actually read a, a little thing from uh, Mike Carey, where he said, we didn't want to give you a lead up to this book. We just wanted to jump in the universe and explain it uh, during the unfolding of the story. <laughs> which and is not like, what they did. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I guess. <laughs> but you know, I got to say, I didn't uh, – I'm interested in some of the concepts. I'm interested in how that some of the characters play out. Um, but I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick up the Age of X trade paperback <laughs> rather than uh, reading this on a weekly basis. It didn't hook me quite like a second coming did yeah i mean i like what they've done with magneto in here and i really like what they did with cyclops but i i'm with you it just doesn't this wasn't a book to hook you this was a book to give you backstory it was they say it should have been a chronicles not an alpha yeah so well apparently i read every book on our list this week because our next book is shazam number one which is kind of like, you know, we were talking about how Age of X was meant to, Alpha was meant to hook you into the storyline. Apparently, which I didn't realize, Shazam is the same thing. It's kind of like that Steel one shot that was like, hey, did you like this? Then read Reign of Doomsday. <laughs> this one's like, hey, did you like this? Then read Titans number 32. I'm Actually, like, really? I think Steel was more, hey, did you like this? You need to be on medication. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, did you like this? You might like crap. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a steaming plate of poo. So apparently Shazam was essentially something that led into whatever's going on currently in Titans, uh, a book that I have literally no interest in. But I like the character of Shazam, so I thought I'd pick this book up. And uh, Aaron picked it up too, and it's a pretty book. I will say that if you if you flip through the book, the art is definitely going to sell you on it. But Yeah, uh, and, and you know, Paul – Asked me if I was going to pick this up. I was like, yeah, I'm going to flip through it when I get to the comic shop. And, you know, if it doesn't offend me, I'll grab it. And it is a very pretty book. Um, and so I, I did grab it. Um, it's a nice one shot. You know, it tells a full story. Um, I was glad that I read the book. I like all of these characters. I like Shazam. I particularly like Mary Marvel. Uh, and to some extent, I like Billy. 
Um, in fact, of the three, I find Billy to be the least interesting. But I enjoyed the book. Glad I bought it. I have no desire to read the Titans book that it's uh, leading into. Yeah, and I think that was you know that's kind of where it faltered a little bit. Yeah. You know, if it was trying to bring me into Titans, no interest. Yeah. And uh, I, I enjoyed what I read here. It wasn't bad. It was a pretty book. I just, you know, li- kind of like Steel, except Steel. I'm not picking up the rest of the books because Steel sucked. Yeah. You know, this one was a good book, but not. You know, it didn't excite me enough to really get me interested in Titans of all things. Yeah. Yeah. I and you know I have. I like the Osiris character that you know she's going after in Titans that the bad that the the villain is going after in Titans, um, but just I don't like I'm not into that story enough to uh, want to go read it there. But I did enjoy this, and you know I like that that we continue to see that Shazam is committed to getting Mary and Billy back their powers, and if, and if he just wants to get Mary her powers, great, you can leave Billy without his. See, I gotta say I've kind of not been happy with the way DC's been treating the Captain Marvel characters in recent years that Mary Marvel went all dark and evil. And, you know, and I, I, black I costume had, was hot though. It was, <laughs> it was, but it was always drawn poorly. So it didn't work anyway. Well, and it was in countdown. So, you know, yeah, it had exactly. that, uh, it had that working against it. So I just, I haven't liked, you know, the ringer that they've put some of these characters through and, you know, they, they just don't seem to have a firm grasp on what they want to do with all of these characters. Mm-hmm. Nah, I'd like something a little more, I don't know, a little more exciting, a little more superhero-y. Well, I don't think, uh, I don't think that DC's had a good handle on the Fawcett characters uh, since the the uh, Captain Marvel stories that were being done by, and I'm suddenly drawing a blank on it. Was it Dan Jurgens who did them? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that 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 run that was so good uh, by Dan Jurgens on the the those characters and I, that's the last time i felt like they were really in good hands and i did like that i think there was um the trials there, of, of shazam the, the trials of shazam, shazam. Yeah. i liked that miniseries that was good miniseries. and i thought yeah i thought it was going to lead into some great things and then you know it didn't so yeah, yeah. it led into cry for justice and we all know how that turned out and you know cry for justice started good and you know I, i'm glad you mentioned that paul because you know shazam does mention yeah you know i, I took off after the end of cry for justice you know, because the book was so bad. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, the, the first two issues of Cry for Justice we loved, and it just fell apart at the end. Um, I liked the character that we saw portrayed in Cry for Justice, and I'd like to, I'd like to see more of that guy. Yeah. You know. So you know, I put him on a team or give him a miniseries. You know, do something with him, but let, don't make me read Titans. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> it's not going to work out well for you. I guarantee <laughs> it is not going to work well for you for me to buy Titans. But, you know, but, some Titans that we will read are the Teen Titans. Look at that. Because Tim makes us. You know what the best part of how about having Jake on is that I can, like, sort of blame him for every artist thing. <laughs> it's like Jake, I know you didn't do this, but uh, Beast Boy, one tooth, like you know, can you use your connections and say just just balance his face, would you? Just give him both. He's driving me nuts, and he's front and center on his book. Ugh. Uh, well, other than the cover, though, I, I love I love the interior. Like who who didn't enjoy watching Robin and Ravager kick some serious zombie kid ass? Anybody? <laughs> okay, well, I enjoyed it. No, Teen Titans number ninety-one. I I, I enjoyed it. I, I I did. I'm glad that storyline's over. 
the one you know this is the third issue of the this, the main storyline that involved I guess this school of rock or whatever that school of evil kids or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed the Robin and, and Ravager stuff. The rest of it, not as much. Oh, see, I li- I like the the kid Flash flashing back to when he when he died and then yeah. waking up in like the negative zone or whatever the hell Raven put him in. That was kind of cool too. But I, I didn't really particularly think that the fight with the the, the bald kid was all that gravy. <laughs> you want to hear something sad? I read the issue where Bart Allen died, and I didn't get the connection that they, that that's what he was flashing back to. <laughs> Paul, now it all makes sense. I love this book. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Paul. You know, Damien. Uh, Damien did not disappoint either. So I was. I'm very happy that the the issues that he's been on, and it looks like this is tying into a book I love, which is Red Robin. Because um, at the end you see you see uh, Tim Drake calling the tower. Yeah, a, a common theme. Yeah, this week is that we, these are all books that want you to buy another book. That's how they're making that two ninety nine thing work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you want to buy this book. <laughs> Buy this other book too, yeah, because this is to be continued in Red Robin number twenty. Yeah, I won't be picking that one up. Really? I don't read Red Robin. But did you like Teen Titans ninety one? I did, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to go buy Red Robin. <laughs> it should. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that we voted it best series of 2010 should make you want to go buy it and mm-hmm. at least try it. No, you guys don't know what you're talking about. What was your vote for funny for best book 2010? Was it New Avengers? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I, I'm I'm also a little tired of the uh, Superboy Wonder Girl situation. Wonder mm-hmm. Girl finally comes around. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to you know open my heart to Connor, and Connor comes up and says, "Yeah, I kind of figured this is what you want anyway, so let's go ahead and break up." And I, I'm just like, God, yeah, the soap operishness of uh, of. Uh, <laughs> of this book annoys me a little bit. Yeah, but that's so that's teenager, so teenager though. though. I know, but I don't but like it. Like, get off my lawn! <laughs> <laughs> don't break up on my lawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but you're still on board with Teen Titans ninety two. Yeah. And, uh, oh yeah. I'm just not yeah. going to buy Red Robin. <laughs> I can listen to y'all talk about it without spending the two ninety nine. So there you go. Aaron, Aaron. That's a fair point. Yeah, that's, that's my move usually. <laughs> Age of Alpha. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, with the money you don't spend on Red Robin, you can pick up Astonishing Thor, right? That's right. I, I will. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> Which so, which I didn't. <laughs> I thought about it. I thought about it. <laughs> Jake did not read Astonishing Thor number two. However, he has some strong feelings. I do about I Astonishing do. Thor number two. Well, well, okay. So, so as 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 Aaron, you know, I, you and I both have a have a fondness, an affinity for Thor. Yes. And and so that was like on the list. You guys pulled this. I was like, that was the first thing I was going for. Was like, oh, Thor, yeah. And so I picked it up and. It, it, it had two immediate strikes against it that were just ooh, back on the show. The first one being that that as I flipped through, I noticed that none of it was inked, which just that's a personal thing. Bugs the piss out of me um, because most times when color goes straight over pencils, it just washes everything out and tends to look in awful. That's my thing. The other thing though that I noticed as I was flipping through, I was like, oh wow, okay, cool, splash page. 
Hmm. Pa- page with two panels. Hmm. Page with all of three panels. And I kept going through and realizing that there was like no panels. Like there was, there was, there were so few panels on each page. I was like, this is practically a book of splashes. And, and I realized that, 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 you know, I, what, where I would have thought I would have been halfway through just flipping through it. I had just finished the book. And I was like, if that's how long it takes me to flip through, I'm betting it's going to take me even less time to read back on the shelf. And especially at its price point. I'm just like, it's it's four bucks. No! <laughs> that is pretty typical of uh, Mike Cho's type of artwork. But it's I'm a huge fan of his art, though. I loved him when he was in Witchblade. Yeah. I love it here. and The art, yeah, it's it's a very quick read. Well, which and for, the the, is, for the price point, it's painful. But the art yeah. is beautiful. It, it is beautiful, and that's the thing. Is that was what what crushed me about it, is that is that as I was looking through, I was like, there are some really beautiful illustrations in here, but I, I had the same issue with it, which I tend to have with um, Travis Shera, uh, Cheris Shere, whatever his name. His yeah. art is that is that he's much more of an illustrator than he is a storyteller in a lot of ways. And so as you're going through the book, you have lots of really sing, single, pretty illustrations, but. If you want a story out of them, they're not actually going to give that to you. They're actually going to decompress the, the the reading such that you're you're just going to blaze right through the book. And I'm like, I I want some investment. I want some return on my investment in the book. So, yeah. Yeah, this is definitely a book you'll blaze right through. Blaze right. It doesn't take long to read it at all. But the story that's there, I'm absolutely loving. I uh, I think the book may not be monthly. I think it's bi monthly or maybe even quarterly, which is painful because it's. I want to know what's going on in the story, and I'm really enjoying it. I will One of the say best that there are books coming out right now. I will say that Marvel calls it a monthly book. It may not be actually hitting the shelves monthly, but but Marvel calls it a monthly book. Hopefully, to fool you into thinking that it might be. <laughs> <laughs> if they tell it to you enough times, you'll believe it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, am I the only one who thinks Jake is like all profers- professional sounding and stuff? Yeah, like the rest of us are like, art sucked. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> the story was okay, but art sucked. Next book, and, and Jake's like giving reasons and shit. I'm so, well, well. When you do the art, you actually have to know something about it every every now and then. <laughs> well, and that's the funny thing you mentioned that the uh, not being inked is something that bothers you. It's something I tend to like because it gives more of a painted feel to it to me. I, it depends on who who we're talking about, and, right. and when we get a little later in the in, in our poll here, uh, like that is not a problem I have with Opeña's art for X-Force. And, and it really depends on the artist and the colorist. And in this particular book, it just bugged me more because of the way the shading was working and the way the coloring was sort of attached to that. And it's just something it, it, I'm very particular on it. And, and certain artists, I'm just like, no, you, you need ink on your stuff or, or at least better, better control of the color to offset that, mm-hmm. the, the, the sort of gray washed outness that pencils get. And that's a, it's a, it's a really hard balance to strike. And only a few pencilers can, can take that and only a few colorists can figure out how to work with it. And So Aaron, you picked this up, but I don't think you had number one. So what was your thought on it? I, I picked up number one. I just read it after you guys did. I, I read it on uh, yours and Tim's recommendation and I enjoyed uh, number one enough to pick up number two. Um, I, I kind of am digging the use of some of these cosmic characters that we don't see so much, you know. So like, you know, seeing Ego, the Living Planet, and the Collector, and I particularly, you know, the page where he says, you know, he's arrived at the Museum of, of Tanlir Tyvan, and I'm like, isn't that the Collector? And then he's like, the Collector. So it's nice to kind of, you know, have the the story kind of uh, pop up as as my mind was making certain connections. 
and you know the the collector is walking Thor through his various galleries, and so like one of them is, behold, my gallery of dodecahedra, and so I, I just kind of imagine him walking him through, and this is my porn collection. Yeah, <laughs> you know, look, I've got all the high societies right here, and look, celebrity skin. <laughs> uh, I, I dug it, and of course, you knew that uh, you know things were a little too coincidental, and sure enough, this was going to end poorly for Thor, and it did because we're left hanging on that cliffhanger with him uh, uh, faced with Ego's evil alternate and hungry alternate uh, alter Ego. <laughs> <laughs> I love the name. I think it's a fun book, and that's what I like so much about it. Um, the art doesn't bother me like it does Jake. Um, I will say that there, the, there's far too many splash pages in the book, and I, I do agree that you know it makes it a much faster read than I'd care for at three ninety nine. Yeah, as a trade, those problems won't exist because you'll have like a hundred pages to kind of pull yeah. it back together. But you know, as a single issue, it's just the the investment of of money versus what you're getting back from the art it's it's too quick a read yeah, yeah. i'm i'm kind of curious about this title because you know uh, marvel is calling it a monthly book and so i'm curious to see if it if it lasts beyond this first story arc because it doesn't feel like a monthly book right now there's this there's this quality to it that feels like a mini series sounds exciting <laughs> almost as exciting as well, tim and i talked uh, earlier this week and he said, yeah, but all y'all. Yeah. We, we said right. bad things about everybody, yeah. especially Jake. Um, but then he's like, hey, uh, have you been to the comic shop yet? And I'm like, no, I, di- I didn't go. And he's like, well, you know, you should buy Wonder Woman 606. I'm like, why? He's like, well, it's, it's, it's not really like a brand new storyline, but I think it's kind of a decent jumping on point. It, it wasn't a good jumping on point, Tim. I'm no, I, would, <laughs> shit. I wouldn't call this a jumping on point. No, no, no. <laughs> maybe the issue, yeah. maybe the issue before this one, but not this one. Paul, you just highball, man, because that's not what I said. I said <laughs> flip, flip through it, and because and, it was it was a good issue, but it is not a good jumping on point. Uh, well, I'm I'm certainly not going to tell the story in your favor. <laughs> no, of course not. Yeah, Tim's, Tim's a dick, but. Um, <laughs> Why don't we go to somebody whose opinion isn't tainted by a conversation that may or may not have happened? <laughs> I am still loving this title. I, uh, I'm i curious how long this story is going to go on. I know that Straczynski is stepping away and someone else will be taking over. I'm hoping that they continue down you know, the level of quality he's released on this book. And I don't know how the guy that's writing this book so well is writing such a crappy Superman well, yeah, if, keep in I, mind, this book was the first book written by Phil Hester. Um, it, it says J. Michael Straczynski and Phil Hester, but that's saying Phil Hester, That's like saying Phil Hester and Kevin Smith over in Green Hornet. You know, it, it's Phil Hester using JMS's notes. Um, so th- this was the first Phil Hester book. He, he took over for JMS. There was definitely the more action in this book. I noticed a slightly different feel to it, but still it's – it's still really good. You know, on the MTV awards, they have some stupid awards like, you know, best kiss and all that stuff. I was thinking to myself, this is the, this is the best battle of 2011 so far. I know it's January, but I'm like, <laughs> that fight between her and the Huntsman was awesome. That's why this is my book of the week. And that's why I was jazzed. Like, Paul, you need to, you need to like, at least flip through this. 
Well, I was just giving Tim a hard time because that's what I do. I got to say, even though I didn't quite understand what was going on, the book was kick-ass. Um, the art was really, really good. I, I really dug the art in this book. Um, you know, again, I didn't know who the characters were. You know, I'm not familiar with the universe. Um, but, I, you know, it, it was a kick-ass book. And that fight scene that you mentioned was just awesome. I'm like, wow, hey, you know, does someone die this way every issue of Wonder Woman? Um Apparently not, but every no, other, it was, it, every other. But yes. it, was, it was a damn good book. It, it actually was a very, very good book. Well written. The art was fantastic. I just, I, I really dug it. Um, and yeah, this story I, again, has I don't done something I didn't think was possible. It made me care about Wonder Woman. I mean, and I don't know if that's JMS or if that's Phil Hester because I haven't read any of the previous issues. But I liked this issue. Yeah. I'd- Wayne and I, I think both agree that the JMS run was was very strong. And if this is the direction that Phil Hester is taking, with more action but just as much characterization of of uh, Wonder Woman, I think we're I think we're on board for the long haul. Yeah, I I am dreading when they turn it back to the regular Wonder Woman, when this is yeah. all said and done and it goes back to you know the normal costume and the normal world. Because I I want this to continue as an ongoing. I want the change to be permanent. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Paul, did I did I did I sucker you out of money? Well, no. You know, I I I, uh, I like the book, and I, I but I'm probably not subscribing uh, to the monthly thing. I'll pick this run up in trade because it sounds like it will end after twelve issues. So, you know, I think I'll just read it as either one hook cohesive piece or, you know, two trade paperbacks of six issues each. And I think I'll get more out of it that way. Well, let's talk about getting suckered out of money. New <laughs> Avengers number eight came out this week. You didn't like New Avengers number eight? Uh, this is this is my heartfelt love letter to Stuart Amonin. Stuart Amonin, I don't know what we've done. Was it the fact that he had to share, an, share an, any, uh, a funny but we we need you back on New Avengers, and we need you back on New Avengers right now. It's not going to happen, man. He's on Fear Itself, the new oh, crossover. Stupid Fear Itself. <laughs> He's off the book now, till Fear oh. Itself ends. Uh, uh, Jake, what what do you what do you, what do you got on your plate? Because uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me let me tell you, you put me in tra- in touch with somebody to draw New Avengers. I will do it. I, I will start tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, Aaron's not doing anything. Aaron, get on that. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I, uh, I I really like the artwork in this book. Oh, you cannot be serious. I am. I'm totally serious. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> the pain, the pain Tim is feeling right now is. I I, me I, I I I was like, well, it's not Stuart Amon's uh, artwork, but I think it I think it matched nicely. I I, I really loved it. I lo- I thought it I thought the the artwork was was good for the story that it was telling. I thought he did well at the uh, in the humor. I particularly think the lettering, and I know this is weird to comment on, but the lettering uh, really supported the energy in the dialogue. Like the the scene with Jessica and Luke in the restaurant, where they're talking about you know whether or not she's gonna you know go back to being a superhero again. It, it ha- the pacing was perfect in those word balloons. I loved it. I thought I thought this book fired on all cylinders. I, I'm just stunned that you didn't enjoy it. Is this it, one with that like, splash page where they're like talking in the the coffee shop and yes. it went back and forth? Yeah. You know, I saw that. I like the art on that too. Yeah, I'm gonna go with what? you on that. I, I like yeah. that. I got a oh, bona fide yeah. artist it's on like, my side. Tim, what do you got? What you got, Tim? What do you got? 
<laughs> it's like, here's what we need you to do for Luke Cage. He's black, he's bald, he's in a yellow shirt, and he looks like a dillweed. Draw that. <laughs> that uh, sounds pretty accurate. That's just his new costume design. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta um, say, it's that, a yellow uh, turtleneck. <laughs> yeah. Um, Come on, So Paul. the artist is Daniel Acuna. I, I didn't dislike the art. In fact, I gotta say, the art reminded me of uh, Matt Wagner a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And uh, so I, I actually enjoyed that piece of it. My problem with it was the storytelling. Really? What? Yeah. I, I, the, with this book, I thought the 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 individual character moments were great. The conversation between Luke and Jessica, great. Um, you know, some of the dialogue was great, but the overall story was like, okay, so Doombot shows up out of nowhere, it's over, book's over, and then at the end, and this is just me. And maybe it's just because I'm a geek, and this shit bugs me. So at the end, just spoilers on, because this is a, such a huge spoiler. Um, Jessica Jones, is that her name? Yes. Yeah. Says, you know what? I think I'm going to go by the name Power Woman, which is the conversation they had earlier where Luke Cage said, you should go by Power Woman. And she said, fuck you. But she changes her mind. I'll go by the name Power Woman. And Luke Cage goes, booyah. You know, and she says, never mind. You just booyahed me out of being Power Woman. And then someone, who I'm assuming is Spider-Man, because they just show the outside of the mansion, says, women don't like when you say booyah. And then someone else responds and says, white people shouldn't say it at all. So I'm assuming that's Luke Cage. Spider-Man's response is, how do you know I'm white? I'm wearing a full-body costume and mask. And I'm like, maybe he knows because you showed everyone your secret identity? And that part wasn't erased. He he showed them after one more day. And not only that, he lifts up his costume to eat. It's not like he just shoves food into his costume and hopes that <laughs> particles fall through the bread. In his mouth, right? And like yeah. over the costume. Okay, like, so beyond that last yeah. panel, beyond <laughs> that last panel, Paul, what about the rest of the book? <laughs> that last panel bugged the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I just I thought the the Doombot thing. It's like, of course it's a Doombot. It's always a fucking Doombot, okay. unless the name of the book is Doom. So you know, and I'm even the, then, it might be a Doombot. And of course, of course, it's a it's a it's a stinking doom bot, right? And it occurs to me that the way I want Victor Von Doom to die is that you know somebody like the Thing or the Hulk is going after him, and they're going, you know, be careful, you're going to kill him. He's ah, it's a doom bot, and they just rip his head right off, and oh, whoops! (laughs) It's either a a doom bot or a frigidaire with a green cape. (laughs) It's actually you know Victor Von Doom in there, you know. Whoops, sorry. Thought it was <laughs> you know, they could polybag that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I want him to go out. You know, and I was just thinking to myself as I was going to the comic book store, it's like maybe Aaron has a point. Maybe I need to like look at these three ninety nine books with a with a slanted view about quality. And I'm like, well, I know Spider Man, New Avengers are that kind of quality. Oh, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I, I'm I'm going to go back to the art for just a moment. Those scenes with. Doctor Doom and the glowy hand and all the energy and whatnot. I just I thought the art really worked in this book. I looked great. I uh, I thought it was a throwaway issue. I really did. I liked it. You're a throwaway issue. Your mom. (laughs) (laughs) I see, and I disagree that it was a throwaway issue. I mean, I think the 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 conversation between Jessica and Luke has been coming for a while. No, I'm throwing it away right now. Hold on. <laughs> Are we going to get sound effects again? Uh, it didn't pick up. Uh, is it going to be like Jonathan flipping through his checkbook? Like he's reading his notes? 
<laughs> I I rather enjoyed it, and I'm sorry that you didn't, Tim. And you know what the worst part is? I still love the writing, and I'm like, oh, do I really want to spend four dollars just for good writing and that art? Well, I don't next know. month is Mike Diodato. The next couple of months are split duties between Mike Diodato, who did Secret Avengers and Dark Avengers, and Howard Chaikin, who's like comics legend, Howard Chaikin from American Flag and all yeah. that. And I'm not a fan of Chaikin, and I'm not really a fan of Diodato. Yeah, so well, then I'm definitely <laughs> back on board then. Yeah. So <laughs> your life's like going to suck for the next six months. Yeah. <laughs> Yay on me. <laughs> Making fun of Aaron's fun. <laughs> well, how about Echoes, Paul? Yeah, so I'm very excited because we have officially gotten into the child killing portion of the show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I wasn't aware this was an official portion. Right on. Yeah. Right it's, on. It's, it's, you know, child murder child. spotlight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, child murder spotlight. It Think is about this week. In the next book we're if talking we could about. get a jingle for that, that would be great. Child murder spotlight. <laughs> Making a barbershop quartet. Like <laughs> so, <laughs> Echoes number two from Top Cow came out this week. And um, Jake and I read it. And Jake, uh, I know you picked it up. You said uh, your, your, your little lady is a big fan of horror. Did oh, yeah. you get her to read it as well? Uh, I, I, she, is, she is not local, so she hasn't read the second issue. I did forward her over the, the first, so... She's, mm-hmm. She she can read that. I haven't heard back from her on it yet, but I, I'm thinking it's going to be right up her alley. She's you, you should see some of the comics she reads. Oh my god, <laughs> my they creep me out, and, I, and I'm a horror fan. So, <laughs> Cthulhu penis. Not yeah, that. send her Necronomicon or Neonomicon. <laughs> no, no, she and I talked about that when she she refuses to read that one. She's not into a two Cthulhu penis rape. Uh, yeah. Nah, I thought everyone was into Cthulhu penis. <laughs> <laughs> So, what'd you think of Echoes without Cthulhu penis? You know, I I liked it. Um, I I, I like the, I, I I like particularly in the back when he he's got the little letter where he's talking about the research he did for the book and like the schizophrenia and everything. I I think that's an interesting element in how it's sort of playing into the plot line. I will say I'm calling it right now. Uh, the dude's wife is totally in on this. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah, like she's either like switching his pills out for sugar sugar pills, or like is totally doing it herself and screwing with him because she's just too damn nice, <laughs> like and just kind of floating in the background of it, of roughly every scene and like, lady, you are you are suspicious, <laughs> suspiciously unsuspicious. That's 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 how bad. It is. <laughs> Yeah, but um, so just to, to get people caught up, because clearly it's about child murder. Um, yeah, so <laughs> Echoes is about a guy. His father dies. He starts going through his father's things, and he finds a trunk of little dolls that are made from the skin and bones of dead children. Each one has a little a note with it, and and yeah, it's creepy. Yeah, his father was very crafty, very crafty with those kids' bones, um, yeah. and he labeled each one appropriately, and they're nice and categorized by alphabetical order and height. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but so you know, it, it's a continuation of that storyline, and I gotta say, it's it's a damn creepy book. I really, I really do dig this book. Yeah, I, I like, I, and like I said, with the schizophrenia thing, my. Uh, my sister is a doctor, and she was telling me about the stuff they had to go through when they she was doing the like the mental health portion of of her exams or whatever, and how they teach the doctors um, what patients are experiencing for schizophrenia, and how like essentially what they do is they give the doctors like a tape recorder filled with just people saying horrible things, just all kinds of the worst things you can think of, and they make them like listen to it for like eight hours a day, 
just go through their day. It would go through a day of just like random things being shouted at them constantly, and that's supposed to be what like high high level schizophrenia is supposed to be like. And I, and I kind of it's clear from the writing that that clearly this guy has has done enough research to kind of know that, which I thought was very cool. I, I, it, it has a good vibe to it. I like it. Hmm. Well, not not a good vibe, a creepy vibe. Yeah, yeah. And I, this isn't going to be a feel-good book, you know. No, no, no. It, Whenever we start with child murder, it's not really going to go uphill from there. <laughs> yeah, you don't like put the book down and then go to the playground and hang out with the kids. Um, or if you do, you're yeah. creepy. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say also like I, I I like that this book is in black and white because I think horror books in particular are often served a lot better by that, and this one I think is really really well served by that by by being mm-hmm. the black and white, the gray tones, and some of the art's really really nice. I I really love this shot. The there's a long thin shot of uh, the dude in the shower with like the the mirror looking at him with his reflection and everything. That's a nice shot. Mm-hmm. I really like that page. Yeah, there's a lot of subtle stuff like that, you know, where the the mirror, you know, his reflection is doing something different than he is, but it's not super obvious. Yeah, and, you know, and he doesn't like he doesn't seem to and like he's not always noticing it even. It's it's sort of a, it's just in the background just to creep out the reader. It's not even really for the story proper. So, you know, really well done book, and it's only on issue 2. So, I you know, I if you if you're into horror comics, you should, I would definitely recommend picking it up or, you know, getting it in trade eventually. Definitely, but you know, if if that's just a little too serious for you, you can always kill kids in the pages of Uncanny X Force. <laughs> oh, spoilers! Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so we, we definitely be a spoiler for that one. <laughs> I'll do it again. <laughs> spoiler two. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Uncanny X Force. Issue four came out this week. It's the conclusion of the the Apocalypse Solution. It's their first storyline where Apocalypse has reborn, been reborn in the body of a child, and uh, X Force has decided we need to take him out. So, to be fair, he's a creepy think? ass child. So, yeah, a creepy child with red eyes. I absolutely love this. Best way they could have possibly ended this storyline. I really thought they were going to go down the stereotypical. You know, we're all heroes. We can't kill him, even though he's Apocalypse. And as every one of the team members back down, that's really the direction I thought it was going. And then, you know, you just see the blam and turn the page and there's a dead child. I mean, it, I didn't see this coming at all. Yeah. So we've I've clearly spoiled the book. So just to give a little background. So Psylocke. Is the only is is the first one to get in, and she decides I can't kill this kid. Anyone's going to kill this kid has to go through me. And so Archangel basically takes her down and says, "I'm going to kill the kid." And then he goes, "I can't." And Wolverine goes, "I'm going to kill the kid." And he goes, "I can't." And then Phantom X shoots the kid in the head. Yeah, there's there's no talking about it, no wondering about it. Wolverine's going down the list of you know we're, we'll take him back, we'll raise him, and we'll rehabilitate him, and. You know, we'll treat him as best we can, and then the next panel is blam. And Phantom X is just standing there with the smoking gun and, you know, nails him right between the eyes. I I like how there's not really any debate about it even afterwards. They're all just like, well, and he's dead, so I guess we got to go now. And I love that the last page is that quiet ride home, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, where everyone's just sort of uncomfortable with the situation. I thought it was pretty. But do you think that was because they couldn't figure out where they were going to go for lunch? (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, Phantom Mask suggested Chinese. Warren you know, <laughs> hates that. That's right. I think right. the guy that like, kills the kid gets to pick where you eat. I think that's the, <laughs> yeah. that's 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 the rule. rule. <laughs> I can hey, agree with that. <laughs> He's also the one that drives the ship, so. Yeah. So you get yeah. the music, too. Nice. As much as I've loved this series for the first storyline, I'm worried about the next one. The Deathlock Nation storyline sounds really bad. I'm not going to jump off just because the uh, the solicits and the the pictures look horrible. But I I'm not as excited as I was about this apocalypse story. What 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 I, what, what, what have the solicits said about the Deathlock Nation one? Like like I, all I, all I've seen is just that that ad behind it where it's you know all the the, the rest of the Marvel universe Deathlockified I guess. Deathlocks like, are pouring through time to try to kill Phantom X. And it's going to be at least a three or four issue story arc of, you know, Deathlockified heroes fighting the oh. fighting X Force. Yeah, okay, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I don't know. If I'm, <laughs> <gonna read that. laughs> I'm gonna give it a shot. You know, I loved these first four issues. I'm 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 definitely gonna give Deathlock Nation a shot. I mean, because the the these four issues have all been really well written, beautiful beautiful art by Jerome Pena. And just the ending of this book really made it my book of the week because it was just – it wasn't the cheap way out. Right. Yeah. And that it surprised me. I didn't think they were going that direction. I didn't think they would even show that on panel if they did. Yeah. This, this was my book of the week too. And actually to, to relate back to Infestation, um, so I've been out of the X-Men books for years. I think the last thing I read that was X-Men was Joss Whedon's run on Astonishing. So I came into this cold on issue four, and I have no idea who Phantom X is at all. But what I love about it is in the first two pages of writing, I get an idea of his character just from like the little snippets. Like like his little banter back and forth with Wolverine tells me who Phantom X is just right off the bat. And so I'm already into the story two pages in, even on the fourth issue of a story arc that's ending. Yeah. And still got everything oh. out that I felt. It was really nice. I liked it a lot. And, and we didn't even say that the, the shooting the kid in the head scene wasn't even the best scene in the book, at least for me. Oh, no. The it Archangel stuff. Oh. The Archangel. Yeah, Archangel gets, you know, he gets beaten by famine or whatever. So he's like dying. And so Deadpool, you know, starts feeding him pop rocks and it doesn't work. He's like, here, you know, I need to get your, <laughs> your, your health up. And so he, he starts feeding Warren. You know the stuff, and Warren's, and you know, so, and Warren's like getting the, you know, getting the food. He's finally eating stuff. He's still unco- you know, relatively from? unconscious. Yeah, he's like, where did this come from? And you pull back, and you see Deadpool slicing pieces of his arm off, and, and he's them playing to himself to. Yeah. To <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty awesome. I, I, love, I love Deadpool. If you, if I tell you, do you promise to keep eating? <laughs> <laughs> I love Deadpool in this book because you know Deadpool tends to be too slapstick in most books they have him guest star in. Being a member of this team, we get to see, yeah, he's funny, but this is a serious character here, and I'm enjoying that take on him. I'm shocked that he can be this serious in a book with how slapstick he's usually treated. I, I'm 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 amazed at that, but but it still works. It's it's really yeah. I like it. Well, it's a part of the character that has to be there because you don't worry about. You know, a, a mercenary that doesn't have this ability, that can't take a situation seriously, and we haven't seen that in a while. That's why I think it's such a big contrast with what we, what else we see out there. Mm-hmm. So, great book, pick, and the first arc. I'm sure it'll come out in trade soon enough. You know, definitely pick it up, uh, especially if you like child killing and cannibalism. 
<laughs> can't get enough <laughs> in your X universe. It's your family values comic. Exactly. They have people getting eaten by bugs and everything. This book is full of that. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. The whole, the whole spread here. <laughs> it's certainly better than anything that lame Ultimate Comics universe can put out. I have to disagree. I really, <laughs> really enjoy Ultimate Comics uh, Doom. It is really, yeah. very good. I like that they're making big sweeping changes without apologizing. Yeah. Reed Richards is a bad guy. It's not a he's being controlled. It's not any of this. They start showing the the hints that yeah we've he's always been kind of like this. Yeah, this is it, this has been a long time coming is what they're showing you. Um, and you know the, Johnny Storm in the book you know says well maybe he's mind controlled and Sue's like no this is Reed he had us all fooled. Um, I'm totally digging it. I I love I, that the love stakes the- are big in this book. Um, the scene with Dr. Octopus, uh, Peter Parker, and uh, uh, Jessica Drew, yeah. loved it. Loved it. Um, you know, I really like her as the either Spider-Girl, Spider-Woman, whatever they call her in the Ultimate Universe. Yeah. It's an interesting character, and I like their interactions together. Well, and you know, uh, Spider-Man comes in to rescue her because she'd been captured by the brain trust there at Roxanne, and Dr. Octopus was about to come in and start doing unspeakable things to her. So Spider-Man liberates her, and then she just, you know, hugs him and embraces him. And, you know, you almost think that uh, Peter Parker is going to get himself a little uh, alternate gender clone action when, uh, you know, the monsters start uh, tearing up uh, Roxanne. <laughs> so, you know, interrupted. <laughs> You know, and I love Ultimate Nick Fury in this book too. Yeah, he's good. You've got the new head of Shield telling everyone that you know, no, we don't have the files from the Baxter Building, and Fury just like hit this key combination. There you go. And everyone's trying to call him on that. You're spying on everyone. You're spying on us. And he's like, Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to let a teenager with that level of intelligence play with whatever he wants without keeping an eye on him. Yeah. Um. The the energy on the book is really high, and it's high with both the storytelling and the art. I really think the art um, really just keeps ramping up page to pe- page after page. That scene where you know uh, Nick Fury releases those files and they're surrounded by all of those images. You know, we've seen the same kind of scene in many other books, and I think it just particularly works well in this book because it's not like the the images just surround them; it's like they're coming at them. You know, and Sue's standing right there in the middle of it, just overwhelmed by these images. And, you know, she's understanding how pervasive uh, the problem is, how how far Reed has gone. And none of them suspected that this was going on until now. Yeah. And I am just loving all the Fantastic Four characters in the Ultimate Universe. Yeah. I love their take on Sue. I like that they've evolved Ben's powers. I love that Reed is a bad guy. Mm -hmm. And like usual, no one cares about Johnny Storm. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's a good book it's a good book if you're not reading ultimate doom you're really missing out because th- th- this book is terrific what do you mean nobody cares about johnny storm nobody cares about johnny storm everyone oh cared God. about johnny storm this week <laughs> right <laughs> um yeah tim, yeah for like what a couple of hours before the book was actually released tim can, can, can you give us uh one of your uh your, your things there Thank you. We're going to spoil this shit out of uh, Fantastic Four 587. So, Unfortunately, Marvel beat us to it. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I you was don't know the so ending by now. pissed off. I mean, 
they've been building the story for so long. Marvel gives their whole stupid speech about we're putting this in a plastic bag so it doesn't get spoiled. And then they release a fucking press release on Tuesday early in the day where there's no chance most people can actually get there and pick up their book. And Marvel goes ahead and spoils it with a press release all over Yahoo. I see it on Twitter, the whole buildup. And Marvel is the one that kills this while giving us a speech about how they're thinking all these efforts to keep from spoiling the book. So let's talk a little bit about how, you know, normally comics come out on Wednesdays, but, uh, you know, this year folks are getting their books on Tuesdays so that they're ready to go when the stores open on Wednesday mornings. And Marvel stated that they would allow retailers to sell Fantastic Four 587 on Tuesday. And so go to your store and pick up your books. And, of course, not every retailer was participating. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I, uh, I contacted my comic shop, and I was like – and I, I, know, I know books come in on Tuesday. So I know that if I go at opening, he's not going to have his books. So I said, hey, when should I come by for Fantastic Four? And he said, oh, well, I'm not going to sell it today. Now, luckily, you know, he's, he knows me and he's a nice guy, so he, he sold it to me anyway. Um, but most retailers, you know, yes, comics come in on Tuesday. However, they, they, unless you're in New York, you're not going to have your comics at opening. You're not going to have your comics until at the earliest, mid-afternoon. So the fact that Marvel announced this at 6 o'clock in the morning, expecting people to rush out to their comic shops and buy the damn thing, you know, it, it, it kind of, I, I think... Um, painted a, a wrong picture that people could just walk in and buy it and that I, I think that actually might have hurt the sales of the book because people went to buy it probably it wasn't there and they didn't go back later in the afternoon to get it see and I think that it added to the hype because we saw earlier this week that on eBay uh, as early as Wednesday morning uh, four was uh, 587 was, was selling for like 50 bucks and that just blows my mind the the hype machine that that Marvel kicked out for this book um, really did its job in getting the demand up. I know that in Dallas there were comic shops that were limiting the number of copies you could buy. Um, at one of the shops you could buy two, like Lone Star Comics, which is the the uh, largest retailer here in Texas. They've got you know stores all over the area. Um, they were only allowing two. Um, another shop was only allowing one. And I even heard on Thursday that somebody was selling it brand new in the bag for ten bucks at a comic shop. I, I wondered if, if like the the reason they did that was so they could control the hype machine on the day of, because 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 releasing it so early when they know there's not a chance in hell even the New York shops are going to have it on the shelf yet was so that they could get the first bang instead of waiting for you know whoever manages to stock their shelves first sell it and then have the guy read it and shop and you know tweet it from his iPhone. You know, so that it didn't like disperse out unevenly throughout the web that they got to hit the major news sources and then it dispersed. I kind of wonder if that was kind of the, the thinking there. Um, I think that the, the, the thinking was to get the hype machine going so that you could create a false shortage. Yeah. And, and ramp up the hype, you know, because uh, the thing that gripes me is that uh, few people are hyped about how awesome the book is. They're hyped about how it's so hard to get. You know, and in right. comics, 
that's that's kind of our thing is that you know there's such a collector mentality around comic books we limit supplies of them whereas if you were buying you know the next big novel you you hardly ever run out of that stuff you know but since we we're, we're marketing to a group of about 100 150,000 readers you know uh, we like to run out of things so we can show this book is so good it's sold out it's sold out at the distributor level you know because how quickly did Marvel come out with that information? Yeah, I'm just amazed someone paid fifty bucks for this book anywhere. Because I'm annoyed by having paid three ninety nine for it. So okay, let's talk about the book itself. You didn't care for the book, Wayne? No, I thought it was really? the stupidest death scene I've seen in a comic in a long time. Okay, so I'm going to challenge you. If you hadn't heard all the Marvel hype, would you have considered that a death scene? No. Okay, same here. You and I have been reading this storyline all along, and we have enjoyed it all along. Pull the hype out of it, okay? Take out the whole, Johnny Storm is dead. I would have read that as Johnny Storm got left behind in the negative zone. He got overwhelmed. We'll see him in another issue. And that's my take on it. I think it's very easy to bring him back. When you look at the fight, I'm looking at the character and thinking this character is a moron. He has options. He could fly up in the sky. He can fly away. He doesn't have to stay there and fight them. There's no reason for him to. He could go supernova. We haven't seen him go nova in a long time. Yeah, and I he thought could the take exact, out a batch. I, I I thought the exact same thing. Why didn't he go supernova? Why didn't he just run away? You know, and wait for Reed to come get him. Um, why did he have to make the big last stand there on the rock? Yeah, yeah it was that was just it was taking everything we've ever seen about the character, which admittingly, like I said, I don't really cares much about the character he had options and he didn't use any of them yeah he handicapped himself when fighting against an army and there's just no reason for that well and again i uh i don't buy that he's dead i mean the the hype says that he's dead but i mean there is nothing in the book that says that johnny storm is dead you don't see him die you see him overwhelmed by bad guys and yeah it looks bad but I expect, I expect that the next time we time see Johnny, Johnny, he's going to be hanging up in Annihilus's dungeon. You know, I, I agree. I don't think that, that that he was ever dead or even close to death. He got beat up. He got overwhelmed. Now, yeah. the rest of the book, the scene with uh, Sue Storm, sorry, Sue Richards, uh, with uh, with uh, Namor, is awesome. That was the only redeeming thing about the book for me. I hated the stuff with Reed on New New World. I love the Sue and uh, Namor stuff. So at the end of the last issue, Namor uh, attacked the uh, the other Atlanteans. You know, during the uh, diplomatic proceedings, you know, uh, threw a trident through somebody's chest, and you know, it looked like everything was going to go to hell. That everyone was going to get you know killed. Namor, Sue, etc. And the uh, the other Atlanteans, these older Atlanteans, bow down before Sue and you know essentially say that because you are representing us and you're the most senior here, you're now our queen. And so she starts giving orders. I mean, Sue doesn't miss a beat. I mean, she's like, okay, I'm queen. Here's what we're doing. And you know, Namor is like, you know, I'm king of all the oceans. I'm not putting up with this crap. And she's she's really in his face saying, you know, you'll honor the deal. You're going to do this like the bitch you are. <laughs> and he says, woman, you do not turn away from me. And then she backhands him. I mean, major pimp slap uh, to, to Namor. And she's like, honor the deal. I'm done asking nicely. And he's all, you know, you dare. My favorite line in the book. 
You're damn right I do. In case you missed it, these are my people. Now I rule here, and I am a queen that bows to no king. And he's stunned by this and says, God, you are magnificent. (laughs) Yeah, that was the only redeeming thing about the book for me. I love those scenes. I like how they've played that out and out. It hasn't been completely predictable. I enjoyed the whole book. I enjoyed the the read stuff. I enjoyed what went on the negative zone, despite the fact that I – you know, have some concerns about how Johnny just fed himself to the uh, bug horde. But what queered the book for me was the hype. Because, you know, the hype is like, well, Johnny's dead. Clearly he's dead. You can't come back from that. And it wasn't just the hype just the for me. Like I said, I don't like the New World stuff. I never have. I, uh, I have enjoyed the reads interaction with Galactus after Galactus found his body. Mm-hmm. But it seemed this was a letdown to that. Once we're dealing with the negative zone, it seems too too plot perfect that they have a, a door that can only be closed from the other side at this point. Stargate. And it's like, it's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything was perfectly lined up that someone has to stay and wait. and It's just yeah. too contrived. It's like, seriously, who built that? <laughs> <laughs> Reed Richards only built a door that you can lock yourself into the negative zone, not lock the negative zone out. What, what I didn't because understand he, Well, he's is, never had experience with the negative zone before. You can't expect him to know these things. Negative <laughs> yeah. zone has never gone wrong. <laughs> well, and I don't understand why you can't just unplug the damn thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just like, turn yeah. off the power yeah. to the yeah. building. You know, just just kick the, 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 the plug out of the wall socket, and I think you're good. Nobody seemed to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> Not in, well, may, maybe and, that's in the director's cut. And can can <laughs> we please emphasize... That it's another Stargate design. <laughs> <laughs> well, I yeah, want to emphasize was... the poly bag. Uh huh. Pointless, pointless poly bag. Yeah, there was nothing in there. there. No, no, there's <laughs> a question about that. So, uh, and I don't know if you guys have heard about this or not, but when I uh, went into the shop, they were mentioning that there were rumors that a certain number of the poly bagged issues were actually signed. And I have yes. no idea whether or not that's true. Did, did, was there ever it any confirmation true. on that? Is it? Okay. Yeah, it is true. It is true that a certain number of copies were signed. Marvel hasn't confirmed exactly how many copies, but certain copies of the book were signed. Still. Uh, see, that, that's the most genius way to like artificially drive hype I've ever seen. Because think about that. Because the notion is you're trying to get the collectors onto it, right? So right. like they're they're looking for the signed book, but you can't open it in the shop to see if it's signed before you buy it. So really what you have to do at that point is, is is it's forcing even the people who wouldn't want to normally to buy multiple copies further than even they would have. Oh, man. I thought that was genius. I was like, this is just devious and horrible, but genius all the same. Yeah. So all I'm getting from this conversation is Johnny Storm died because Reed Richards took his D2D pill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. Okay. Well, he took his own as well because there were a lot of options that he had with his powers that he didn't use. So everybody drank the dumbass Kool Aid. Well. Exactly. Yeah. Because right. yeah. you know, flying away obviously wasn't an option. If hitting the button, locking it, and then flying away, you know, w- wasn't working. Well, and not only that, if Johnny Storm died, wouldn't his flame have gone out? Am, am I the only one? Yeah. Who, who, and 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 yeah. he was all he was all sparky when we last see him. There's no reason to think that he's dead based no, on this. It's just the hype. And and really, when he's giving the whole speech about how he's not being afraid, I completely thought we were about to see a Nova. I mean, yeah. that I was expecting him to wipe out 
thousands of these things and then them overtake him and actually see him die on, you know, in panel. And it didn't happen. It should have happened if he's actually dead. Well, and die all burned out. Like, do a huge Nova and then lose his powers because he's, like, gone so big and then get overrun. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And show how vulnerable he is at that time. Mm -hmm. Now, I I also want to throw out, um, you know, when you're you're reading it, there's this huge double splash page with Johnny Storm – uh, on still flaming, but being overwhelmed by you know all the negative zone hordes of buggy guys. You flip the page. There's a there's an ad for the new era begins with Wolverine number five point one, and then you're back to story on the opposite page with the thing sitting at the uh, negative zone portal holding uh, 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 Franklin and Val. You know, and they're all very sad because you know Johnny's on the other side. And then you flip to the very last page of the story, and it's the last stand of Johnny Storm. Big black page, three, last stand of Johnny Storm. And then you're back to ad pages. And the, I think the power of that page is really lost. I think that it should have been splash page, next page is that page with the thing, and the opposite page of that is the last stand of Johnny Storm, as opposed to Wolverine ad for 5.1 taking that over. That over. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Well, I mean – uh, sounds like a clusterfuck. Well, it's, it really is. I mean, if you the, – the, that, that page, that big black page with the emblem of three and the last stand of Johnny Storm is supposed to have some emotional resonance, and it just looks like an ad for another book. Yeah. It's really a misplaced page. I mean, I know that they wanted us to, to have that Wolverine ad you know, uh, in great big shocking detail opposite that thing page, but I, I just don't think it works. I want to find the guy that paid 50 bucks for this and sell him a fucking rock. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that anybody bought it at 50. I know that it was on sale for 50. Oh, it was a sale. All right. But (laughs) so, you know, that, that begs the question, you know, we, we, we dispute whether or not this is an actual death of a character because we don't actually see it on panel, but what are some of our more memorable or favorite comic book hero deaths? Are you going to call on somebody? Should I just volunteer? <laughs> you know, I got to say, and, you know, uh, Jake and I were talking about this on, on Twitter the other day. So if you follow us on Twitter, you know, too bad you're going to hear it again. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I got to say, earlier this month, there in the, the pages of G.I. Joe, I wrote about this on ideologyatmadness.com. Cobra Commander died um, in the pages of G.I. Joe. Shot in the head. So you, you know he's dead. So, you know, that that was a, a pretty damn cool death and a much better death scene than the supposed death scene of Johnny Storm. But, you know, but that's just recent history. You know, overall, some of my favorite deaths have been characters that still have not returned, like Hitman. I don't know if any of you guys have read Hitman um, by Garth Ennis. Sorry, we should have probably put a spoiler tag on this whole conversation. Um, <laughs> but Hitman by Garth Ennis, uh, in the, set in the DC universe, was about this super-powered hitman who, you know, who, who took on super-powered, you know, jobs. And um, and you know from the very beginning it's going to go bad. Throughout the entire series, his friends die, things like that. You know, people are constantly dying because they live this dangerous lifestyle. And at the end of the book, you know, he bites it. And it, it's just – it's actually one of the most powerful death scenes I've ever seen in a comic book. It's extremely well done. Uh, very Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, but um, you know, just great stuff. I think that's probably my favorite death scene, and I think a lot of death scenes for me are tainted because 
every freaking buddy comes back from the dead. Yeah. I think the reason that one resonates with me so much is because he's dead. He 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 is dead. He's Garth Ennis's character, and he doesn't want to bring him back. So I don't think he's coming back. Well, and you lost your gold standard for deaths in both Marvel and DC because the gold standard used to be uh, Jason Todd and Bucky because they were two really big sidekick characters. They both died and they both stayed dead for a really long time. And for a while, that was always the character you could point to and say, well, hey, that's a major character that's never come back. And that was always like the threat that that would make another uh, other deaths sort of. You could at least convince yourself they might do that again. Right. We used to use the phrase Bucky dead. Right, exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. Are Bucky. they Superman dead or are they Bucky dead? <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and now and now of course like didn't didn't they both come back within like yes. a year of each other? Like yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sure the timing of it was ridiculous because they both come back I'm like, "Okay, now you have totally blown it. Death is off the table. Mm-hmm. It's it's no longer a threat at all." And people now they say, "Oh, well Uncle Ben, can, you know, or you know, Thomas and Martha Wayne, and I'm like, no, those are origin deaths. Those are those are deaths that have to occur for the character to exist. So those don't count. We're talking about a character who dies in a story. You, you know, know, and the sad thing is, I can't even rail against the Bucky's return or uh, Jason Todd's return because they were both done really well. And it's characters that should have never returned, but when they returned the stories were so incredible and the characters were far more interesting return than they ever were originally. Well, because they're essentially new characters now. Like they're, they're no longer the characters they used to be. And and really you, I I, I firmly believe that you could have gotten a similar arc with a new character Mm -hmm. rather than having to destroy this, you know, the one, the last vestige of sort of, you know, death is an actual consequence in your books. I I, I don't believe you had to make that sacrifice. Yeah. And and let's be honest, characters do not die anymore. No. Okay. Characters, I mean, in in mainstream comic books, characters don't die anymore. Captain America, you know, they they called the book the death of Captain America. It looked like he died, but literally, you know, I mean, starting on the first page of the next issue, it is clearly plotted that he was not, he's not dead. It's you know. It, it, this is part of a storyline. It's clear to us that Johnny Storm is not dead. I mean, that page was drawn and written with the intent that it looks bad for him, but he is not dead. Captain you know? Marvel's still dead. Captain Marvel's still yeah. dead. Yeah. You know, but Batman, he was not no, but, dead. I mean, you know, if you kill a, a tentpole character like Batman, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, those guys are coming back. Yeah, you know, especially I mean, if you kill them not in their own book. <laughs> Batman not even die in his own book. Like, yeah, he died in Final Crisis. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. It's like you're not even going to kill them in their own book, you know. But I, you know, I, when we when we talk about memorable character deaths, I think probably the most memorable one for me, and certainly you know, as a young comic book uh, reader, had the most effect on me was the death of Jean Grey, you know, in X Men uh, Uncanny X Men one thirty seven. I love that book. I read that book over and over. That was a that was a, a, a meaningful death. I thought it was well done. Um, and then, of course, I can't read that story anymore because of all the subsequent returns of Jean Grey. You know, that story is even better because it's it, it's like the inverse of the problem with like the the Johnny Storm death, mm-hmm. where whereas Johnny Storm is doing things that are incredibly stupid to get himself killed. Yeah. In in that in that book, they actually you know they realize we've made Jean Grey into a god at this point. Right. The only one here who can do her in is her. 
Right. You know, they can argue it over it all they want, but but you know, the, the Shi'ar can try their best. They're still going to lose. You know. So at the end of the book, who who does it? Well, she does because she's the only one there who has the ability to, and it's a character reason why she dies, not yeah. a plot reason. And it's 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 a be- it's a it's a beautiful scene, and you know, they even spend the following issue, you know, doing the eulogy and whatnot. Um, I, that that book was terrific, and they should have left it alone. Because you were never going to reach a higher character moment with that character, you know. And of course, everything since then for that character really has been crap, in my opinion. But uh, uh, that's the, that's uh, probably the most memorable one for me. Now, I I, I remember when Cap- when the death of Captain Marvel came out, okay. which is a, a very different way to end a character, you know, ending it with cancer. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that <laughs> I think that book still stands up. You know, it's not a rah rah fun book. You know, it's just characters coming and and saying goodbye and you know being frustrated that there's nothing in the world they can do. Um, it's a great book, not one that I enjoy a whole lot, but it's a great book. <laughs> well, Tim, do you, you have know, a favorite? You... Um, Tim? Yeah, I, I I've got a I've got a couple. Uh, my my all time favorite was Superman. Yes, and I I do know that yeah he's gonna come back and all that jazz, but. Honestly, at the time, I wasn't sure because the writing on the on on the funeral for a friend stories was so awesome. It was mm-hmm. so yeah. powerful. Well, not only I that, they that stopped publishing Superman for a couple of months. If you guys remember, yeah. you know, yeah. they actually stopped publishing all the Superman books for a couple of months. So it like it really, I mean, they they did a damn good job with that. They committed I, to it. <laughs> well, and I agree. And and, and unlike those, uh, the death of Jean Grey. I can go back and I can read. In fact, I do periodically the death of Superman, funeral for a friend, you know, the doomsday books, the return of Superman. I read all that just like it was yesterday. Um, yeah, because it was structured so well, you know, they didn't just kill Superman off and then just decide sometime later that they're going to bring him back. The return of Superman was already planned, you know, um, and it was it worked within that story. You know the death. I remember the the first time they brought Jean Grey back was when I think it was John Byrne on X Factor. Yeah, uh, it was X-Factor first. Was. They found her in uh, Avengers. Yeah. Then she was in an issue of Fantastic Four, right. Right. and then she the team reformed in X Factor number one. I've got all of those issues, and I I love that run on X Factor. That was probably my favorite X Factor run out of the entire many versions of the series. The ret- her return is one of the most ridiculous. Uh, scripts and stories I've ever read. I, I, I just, I, just ridiculous. And it undid on all the wonderful things we had out of her death. Exactly, exactly. Recently, the the one month to live storyline had a had a pretty moving death in the main character. Um, so I'm, in recent times, that's that's been the best. But I think yeah. overall, I, w- I would definitely have to say Superman was, even though we knew he was coming back. Yeah. Because he yeah. died in a way that was epic. It was this is an immovable object. He's the only one that can save everybody. Yeah, and he did. And it was it was touching and moving and and you know, I, it was powerful writing. So that's a compliment to Dan Jurgens. I was hoping we'd have something big like that out of the death of Captain America, because he died in a way that you know you didn't expect. He's he's walking and he gets shot, but. That was probably the worst return that I've read in a long time. And it just I kept thinking, you know, this is, you know, they've done the hype like they did for Superman. 
I thought Marvel had it all thought out better than that. I thought it was going to be one big cohesive story, and they dropped the ball. ball. You know, I think part of that was because Bucky Cap got so popular that they had to change their view of where the storyline was supposed to go. Like, I think they would have they would have revved up the machine a little faster if people didn't like Bucky Cap. That's just me hypothesizing, yeah. but no, I mean it. it you know, I, I think it's clear with the Captain America that it was it was planned for you know a long time. Yeah, and like you said, you know they they Bucky was intended to take over Cap, and once Bucky Cap really got popular, then they probably took that storyline a different way. And now we have Steve Rogers, Super Soldier, and Secret Avengers, and all that shit. But you know, at the time when Captain America died, I remember you know they didn't hype that up until the day of. Of course, you know, you knew the day of, you know, when right. you woke up, holy shit, Captain America's died. What does this mean about America's morals? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, but um, I was know, only buying cap and trade and I went right out to the shop to get an issue, you know, get a copy of it. I mean, yeah, that was a big surprise. I, you know, that that they actually waited until that, you know, it's not like Johnny Storm where they've been saying for five months now, someone's going to die. Guess what? Someone's going to die, you know, and then they ruined it anyway. <laughs> you know, I, I think I, I would prefer the cap way of doing it. Or even the Superman way of doing it, where you know this character will die at the end of the storyline. Instead of making it a mystery and then ruining it, if you know going in that this is going to happen at the end, then you can then you can focus more on the heroic a heroic way of making the character die rather than leaving it a mystery until the final page and then ruining it anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there was a lot of things about the Superman death as well that made that made the, part of the reason it's still good. Is was the villain he was fighting was just kind of a faceless force, right? Right. So you don't really characterize Doomsday at all throughout that whole series. He's just there hurting things, and so he's a force focus, of nature, right? And all the focus gets to stay on Superman and his character and how he's interacting with all of his friends and teammates as this horrible thing is happening, and even like in the art, um, the way they the way they paneled the books, where each successive issue there were less panels on each page. So they so they get more and more epic until you get to that last issue, which is all splash pages. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and so the whole thing, I mean, the structure of that arc, even though it's it's obvious, you know, that he's coming back, it, it's so brilliantly structured. It it still holds a lot of a lot of its impact even to this day, which is shocking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, so I would say Death of Superman is definitely mine as well. Uh, there was, uh, there is only one other death that jumps out at me, but it wasn't a superhero death, so I didn't throw it in. And that was the death of Alex, Kyle Reiner's first girlfriend, after she had helped him. Yeah, after she had helped him come into this identity, helped him, you know, with the costume and with who he was, and she had been a driving force for those few issues that they were had introduced, introduced her. her. And then her death being so final, the he opens his fridge and there she is. Yeah, that was that. But, that's a that was a good death scene. Yeah, it was certainly a lot of impact on the character and on the story, and it really drove the future stories. Uh, you know, and you it, know, it was that, it was that origin death, like Jake was talking about. Even not being a superhero, I might have named that one if they hadn't gone back and shown us what happened later. Yeah, the yeah, mystery the, of it made that, and then they had to go back, you know, in a subsequent story and show us panel by panel what happened. Yep, and that that took something away from that for me. 
Now, I think uh, there were two other deaths that I would list, uh, both of them DC, one of which being Flash in uh, Crisis on the Infinite Earths and the other being Supergirl in Crisis on the Infinite Earths. And both of those deaths stood for a long time. You know, Supergirl, we got back sooner uh, as an actual Kryptonian. You know, we did have the non-Kryptonian version of Supergirl that Peter David wrote. Uh, but, you know, we got Kara Zor-El back, uh, you know, prior to Flash. But Flash, we've only had back, you know, for what, two, three years now. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, I guess DC knows how to do some deaths, right? Because Superboy's death in Infinite Crisis. Uh, yeah, that did bum me out. I yeah, really yeah. like that character. You know, and he, you know, I mean, yeah, he wasn't off the plate for more than uh, I think uh, probably a year, year and a half. Uh, he came back during Final Crisis. And you know, one of the, um, one of the things about that is that you know there was that that threat that you might not see him again because of the litigation. Mm-hmm. You know, there was that added concern, you know, that that meta concern in comics that you know the litigation is going on and maybe we're not going to get to see Connor again. Yeah, I didn't expect him to come back. Yeah, I mean, you know, because you had because even Superboy Prime changed to just Prime. Right. It's like, oh, though they can't use that name anymore. And you know, Superboy Prime was kind of like his doomsday. You know, they had a couple of issues worth of fighting until he finally died. Uh, you know, and he died doing something heroic. So that was that was a pretty significant death. It, that didn't last very long. Um, and I thought it was more effective than the death of Bart Allen, but or, you know, the flashes before they all came back. Yes. But um, well, know, I, I thought that was a good one. And I'll say that you know, usually when you, you kill a character, I want you to leave him, you know, leave it fallow for a while. You know, don't don't bring him back. But I was so anxious to get Superboy back because again, love that character, which of course came out of the death of Superman. So it's all connected. Just... It's all. Connected. <laughs> what about you, Jake? Um. So so I'm I'm gonna go for a couple of deaths that aren't. Marvel or DC? Uh, um, was, you're going to edit right out of this podcast. Oh, <laughs> well, so 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 a, a recent memory. My 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 most I guess most affecting death was uh, Roger from BPRD and Hellboy. Mm-hmm. Oh man, yeah. that yeah. and and I was talking to to some of my other friends who are big Hellboy fans, and and you know we're talking about Roger when he went down. We're like, oh, and this is a book when characters really can come back. And often, you know, I mean, there's yeah. ghosts everywhere and undead and everything. It's it's not like it's and and because it was he dies, and then they they immediately try. You know, I mean, you know, Johan and all that they, they tries to get him back. It says, well, we deal with dead people all the time. Let's just bring him back. And that Roger says, you know, I'm I'm kind of happier dead. Like I didn't the way my life was going. Eh, I'm I'm at peace now. And it was such a it was a it was a really affecting death because you knew it was only going to last. Because it was good for the character, like it wasn't like you were worried about you know uh, a litigation or whatever. Like it's the character staying dead because they choose to. But yeah, uh, yeah. I, I thought that was a. I, I, I agree with you that I, I I had completely forgotten about that. But you're right. That was that was an awesome scene. Mm-hmm. And especially the way the way it ends with like sort of just the view on his ghost where his his grave is. And, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was heavy. Um, another good one I thought was. Um, or shocking for me was uh, the Kremlin's death at the end of Ex Machina. I don't know if you guys read Ex Machina or not, but oh, his was came out of left out field. Of- Didn't see that coming at all. <laughs> oh, you know, uh, oh, uh, you know, since we're talking, uh, I, I don't want to ruin it. So I'm, I'm just going to speak in vague terms because I know <laughs> some of the guys on the on the on the podcast do read the book, and I don't know how far behind they are. 
the end of the prison storyline of The Walking Dead. Oh, yeah. Yes, I was about to mention that, too, but for the same reason, I didn't want to mention characters, because I don't know how far Aaron is. In on I'm, it, I'm, I'm past that. Yeah. Okay, so we can spoil the shit out of it, um, because Tim doesn't give a shit about Walking Dead. No, so, <laughs> you know, so, you know, this baby's born. You still don't know if it's his or if it's his buddies. If I remember correctly, they don't. They didn't actually. I mean, they don't do DNA tests after the apocalypse. Um, and so you know, and so his his wife and his baby, and you, they both bite it in one scene. You know, yeah. And his and and uh, the other guy, I, I don't remember his name. The the guy who got his head chopped off. Yep, I can't remember the character's name either. But uh, yeah, I mean, he'd been a character for a while. You kind of thought he was semi safe. I thought there were really only a few safe characters, and that was Rick, his wife, and their son. And when his wife died, it's like everything's up in the air now. Anyone can die. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that that really reset the story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things. Okay, we're done with this part of the story. Now yeah. on to the next. <laughs> yeah, I think Paul because, just wanted to bring up children killing again. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. It, it all ties together. <laughs> it, it, it has been too long since we talked about a, a child death, so I, I thought I'd have to, to bring it back to that. There are so, a lot of memorable deaths in that series, but I think that more than any other death in the series, that drove it home that anyone can die. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so, you know, we're, we're talking about all these memorable deaths. What would you have done to make three memorable? Um, you know, what what way would that have ended to make it more memorable for you to, to be on par with some of the stories we're talking about uh aaron i think i would have been more clear uh in the death scene i mean I, if i'm going to convince a comic book reader that a character is dead uh i'm going to show it on show it on i'm going to show him i'm going to show death blow i'm going to show him die i'm going to show him you know i'm going to make it i'm going to make it graphic you know there, there's going to be uh, clear evidence that the person is dead. You know, not the big question. Well, maybe he's not dead. Um, but I also would have led up to it more. You know, I would have uh, you know paced the story where you've you've really got a sense of the risk, and it's not just some hey, we can't we can't close this device. You know, I, I would have not had it be a situation where the device has failed, the design of the device by the world's most brilliant man. Has failed. I would have it be a personal failure on somebody over there. Maybe somebody got, you know, held back. You had a slow person, and he had to rescue them. So maybe it's Johnny, you know, saving the life of the kids, you know, as he's as he's dying. And I probably would have had somebody else die with him. You know, maybe he's he's staying behind with somebody that they can't get out. Um, I would have liked to have seen something a little bit more emotional than that, other than this buddy moment between Ben and Johnny. Right before the end. Yeah, if he were sacrificing himself for like Franklin, yeah, that would be that would have changed everything. You know, I gotta say, one of the rumors I had read about three was that the three wasn't for the number of people left; it stood for the number of people who would die, and that, that everyone. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I had heard a rumor that everyone would die except the thing. And that the new book FF that's coming out in a couple of months didn't stand for Fantastic Four, but it stood for this future foundation thing. Yeah. That it would be the thing taking over the future foundation, which is the group of kids that they had in this book. That would have been awesome. Yeah. 
That would be, that would have been a, ter- a terrific way to do it. Is that and you know even if all three of them dying in completely separate things, it's just like the worst day ever for the Fantastic Four. Yeah. <laughs> you know that yeah. said, I'm really interested to see the storyline that's going on with Sue. But I think I really would have liked to have seen you know Reed, Sue, and Johnny all biting it. Because I, I think that would be I think that would have been interesting to to pursue that. So I think I would have done is. Uh, Based on the storyline they had, do all the hype, do all the, you know, this is the last stand of Johnny Storm. If you're going to do all that, fine. Give him the epic battle if he's actually going to die. But I would let all that hype go, let everyone assume it's his death, and I'd start the next issue open with the some of these other Atlanteans running Sue through with a trident. <laughs> Get every- him for a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got all of this, you know, Johnny Storm is... You know, dying, and they do all the big hype. Let it hype. Let everyone believe it, and then catch them off guard with the first panel of the next issue. I mean, <laughs> looking at there, it's so obvious that Storm, you know that Johnny Storm could still be alive. Let's see. Let's see a surprise. Let's see an actual real death on the first panel next time. Yeah. I either want epic death because epic death, like death of Superman, is memorable, or death out of nowhere, like Captain America's death. This character could have easily survived this if they were aware it was coming. Sue, you know, Sue can easily survive just about anything if she's aware that it's coming. Someone walks up behind her and stabs her through, someone that she trusts. You know, that would be memorable. Ooh, Namor stabs her. That would have been awesome with his penis. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, I, I would have had Reed Richards die. I'd have had Galactus throw him in his mouth, chew him, and blow him like a fucking bubble. <laughs> That's what I would have had. <coughs> kill me in the future, will you? A wipe, and then pow. <laughs> no, um, to, to be honest, I think uh, I don't read. I don't read this book, so I'm. I'm. I think just generally speaking. I think probably what I would have what I would have wanted out of a death scene is is like what you guys are saying something more iconic, like if if Johnny stayed behind not only to um you know to to help make sure that they made it out but to erase this mistake that Reed made when he like found the negative zone and he imploded it with the supernova, I think that would have been more epic especially if it's something where and I don't know like I said I didn't read this one. But if it's something where, like, they have a little, like, submarine portal to watch what happens, is that – did they have that in this one? Like, no, there they, was like, a door that was closing. Like, I would have wanted to – I would have wanted the kids especially to, to see their uncle and uncle's end because that, that would be for some, some uh, heavy storytelling in, in future books. You know, the, the emotional impact of not only having your uncle die but having seen it. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's what I would have done. And they should have run him through a definitive death. Yeah, yeah. With, with no, I agree. Penis, I mean, this, right? Know, yeah, Annihilus's penis. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, Jake, kill somebody. Uh, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little meta and say if you're gonna do a death, don't do it 13 issues before an issue 600. Because. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm, I'm just saying to me that screams year-long story arc and grand return. Um, 
uh, other than that, yeah, I mean, if you're going to do a death, do it, do it right, you know, give us a body. It's, it's, it's already a, a superhero book and a, and a sort of a sci-fi superhero book. That's the rule. If you don't see a body, they're not dead. Um, just, uh, yeah. And, and, and leading up to it in, a, in, in, instead of a hype way, but a story way. If if instead of like telling the fans we're gonna kill somebody in three months or whatever, if the story just told you that, if the characters just kind of lead you to that, without the hype of the, the exterior, I think it would have made the the death more potent. But, yeah. yeah, and I mean everybody that's been reading it's been loving the writing, so it sounds like this is sort of a disservice to the to the the writing that Hickman's done to oh, yeah. throw it in the hype machine. That's right. I don't feel serviced. <laughs> <laughs> Well, any last thoughts on three? No, I have no last thoughts. I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in the way it was handled. I'm disappointed in the polybagging. You know, throw a patch in there, a little, uh, you know, <laughs> Fantastic Four <laughs> patch, and, and I would have been happy. You know. Yeah, Other I, than I, that, I was hoping for some armband. Like, black armband like the uh, Superman book. Yeah, I mean that was justified. That came with a poster, I think. <laughs> Uh, you know, the armband, that was polybagged for a reason. This was polybagged for no reason. Yeah. This was Johnny weak, Storm. contrived, hyped, non-death crap. I, uh, as someone who's been reading this series since this writer took over, I am very disappointed in him. And I'm hoping that he does something amazing with his the last issue before they change it to FF. You know, I want to see something next issue with the fallout of this. If he surprises me and we start off with the death of a different character, you know, I may change my tune. This was just overly contrived crap, and I hate to say that because I've been singing the praises of this book. So you really liked it then, right? That's what I'm gathering. You dug this book? On a scale of crap, I guess it was a higher end crap. <laughs> it had one good scene. Book of the week. Book of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Well, on that note, I guess we should wrap this bad boy up. Well, Jake, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Well, you guys go out there and make it a great week. Indeed. I, I'll actually try this time, Aaron. How's that? You do it. I want you to apply right. yourself, Tim. He's only saying that so that you don't give him homework. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> see ya. See ya. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.